2: Welcome to the show. It's Friday. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life. A program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever is on your heart, you need only to call us. 210-340-9585. That's our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Lots going on this weekend. I'm sure it's happening everywhere with Christmas coming up. Uh, Tonight, I will not be doing a normal Friday night Bible study. It is our kids' Christmas play Um, tonight at 6.30, and then we have a matinee, and Saturday at 1. We just don't have enough space for all the people that want to come, so uh, Saturday, a matinee at 1. And uh, pray for the kids. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. And then I'm going to be teaching Acts chapter 3 the miracle of the healing of the beggar at the gate. Beautiful. Uh, I'm excited about that. Well, let's get to questions that have been sent in while we're. Here's a question from Lynette. Lynette, who always has revelation or end times questions, she says, "Why did you change your understanding of the Great Supper of God from the 45 days between Daniel 12:12 12, 12 and 12:13 12, to the 30 days between Daniel 12:7 and 12:12? Is this to match your tribulation doctrine? You know, it won't take Jesus 45 days to set up His kingdom. He's God. Lynette, Lynette, Lynette. You, I, I said the other day. You're reading a bunch of crazy stuff or listening to a bunch of crazy stuff and you need to focus just a little bit. I appreciate your interest. I really do. I haven't changed my understanding of the Great Supper of God in the 27 years that I've been teaching the Bible here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, when you say you, it won't take Jesus 45 days to set up his kingdom, he's God. It's not like at the beginning where he created everything in seven days. Um, there's a mess to clean up. Now I'm going to be as careful as I can to be sure that this makes sense to you, Lynette. Verse 11 in Daniel 12 says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. Now, this is as specific as it gets. When the Antichrist sets up an idol of himself in the temple, you can start counting. That's at the three-and-a-half-year period of the Great Tribulation, 1,290 days until everything is complete. And then he says this, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Now, the book of Revelation, specifically in two places, uses 1,260 days. That's, again, exactly the three and a half years described the ministry of the two witnesses and for the amount of time, the exact amount of time for Israel to be sheltered away from the attack of the Antichrist. So what's the next 30 days? Um, this is what I've always taught. Um, those 30 days is going to be the great supper of God, and it's going to take that long for it to be finished. Now, we need to remember that there's going to be bodies scattered all over the earth. The Great Supper of God from Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 and 18, says this. John writes, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all of the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the Great Supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people free and slave, small and great. Um... This would be the, the uh, great supper of God when the birds, we, we've all seen vultures on the streets cleaning up roadkill. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. And then there's another 45 days that are missing here. And most likely, uh, this is probably the time it takes for Jesus to set up his government, to recall Jews from all over the earth to Jerusalem. Now, remember, he's not just going to make people miraculously, instantly come, but he's going to recall Jews from all over the earth. Um, and, and then one of the things that will happen from Matthew 25 is the judgment of nations. Um, those are, are thoughts based on really solid study. Uh, and I would say just study. Stop reading everybody and open your Bible. Get out a pen and paper and do the math. And and it's really that simple. Now, when you talk about verses seven, um, what was it? As I watched this horn, well, I can't I can't find it now. Uh, I was going to address your other question, but I think that that'll answer your question. Later. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to a phone call. We've got Alan on line one. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
0: Hi, Pastor Ron. This is Alan.
2: Well, hi, Alan. It's good good hi. to hear from you. It's been a while.
0: I missed you, yeah, and I was praying for you, and I uh, just wanted to say hi, uh, and uh, thank you for praying for me.
2: Well, we've been praying, Alan. You got do you have a question or a comment you want to make?
1: Well oh, God bless you. I just wanted to tell you I missed you and uh both Jesus and you and God bless
2: you. Oh, thank yeah. you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Hope you're feeling better and you are constantly in our prayers. I appreciate it very, very much. Alan is one of those guys who uh physically suffers. I mean he's got just a lot going on in his life and Um, Alan and Reuben, who we hear from a lot, if you uh, can uh, think of it, if he comes to heart and mind, uh, remember to pray for Alan. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate knowing that you're doing better. Randy's question is this. How do you interpret Genesis 32? Did Jacob really wrestle with God, and why couldn't the angel overpower Jacob? Randy, Genesis 32 is one of the most important and most personal passages in the scripture to me. Uh, In all the Bible, when I was a brand new believer and I was struggling so mightily, my life, you know, had sort of disintegrated, fallen apart because of my sin, and uh, I got saved. And you know, you still got to deal with the consequences of it. And in Genesis 32, when Jacob says, "I will not let go until you bless me," um, um, that that was really my mantra when I would walk and pray or when I would run, whatever it was doing. Um, especially when I was running, I would just, I will not let go. I will not let go. I felt like I was under spiritual attack. I felt like the world was caving in on me. But I was determined I was going to hold on to Jesus. And that line just gripped my heart. And uh, Randy, that that's actually something that I say daily um, before the Lord. When I get my, my day started, Lord, I, I will not let go until you bless me and and then there's some other stuff that goes with it but but that's all from Genesis 32. So the the answer to the question is yes, Jacob really did wrestle with Jesus. That's who he was wrestling with. Um and it was a wrestling match for control of his will. Now Jacob you remember Randy was was uh, one of those guys who was so carnal, a uh, con man, heel catcher, that's what his name really means, supplanter is another uh interpretation of his name. And the idea for um, Jacob was he was he, he wanted to do God's will. He knew he was blessed by God. Um, but the reality is that he wanted to do God's will on his terms, and God was never going to let that happen. So at a time when he was finally, truly frightened, Esau was, was in his very near future. Esau had a big army. He thought Esau uh, was coming to kill him. Um, That was a pledge that Esau had made many, many years before. And now that Esau was on the horizon, um, he was all alone. Um, And and that's when Jesus appeared to him in a wrestling match. And literally, it says all night. And, And the fact that the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, it's a definite article, the angel of the Lord. Um, um, when it says he couldn't prevail against him or couldn't overpower him it simply means that he could not overpower the will of Jacob in the same way God won't overpower your your free will Randy you've got to come to him you've got to surrender to him uh, on your own of your own free will and um, Jesus was holding on to Jacob all night long while Jacob was trying to get away and finally Uh, as the morning broke, Jacob um, was going to get away and Jesus let him go. Okay, I'm done wrestling with you. I let him go. But before he let him go, just before he let him go, you remember, he touched the socket in his hip and the result of that was Jacob would walk with a limp the rest of his life. And it was in that instant when Jacob realized the power that he was trying to get away from. And he realized the futility of running away from that source of power, now we all have to get to that place to come to Jesus. you know we got to stop trying to figure out ways to get over we got to stop trying to figure out how to get God to do things our way. It's just a matter of we got to come to that place of surrender, and that's where jacob was but but in his case, God had to give him a lamp had to had to show him that power. And then the narrative in the wrestling match changes. And this is where Jacob won the wrestling match, but he won it by losing it. And I hope that makes sense, but that's when Jacob, Jesus let go of him, Jacob grabbed on and held on to him. And that's when Jacob uttered those words, I will not let go until you bless me. And that was the turning point in the rest of Jacob's life. It was from that point forward, not perfectly, of course, because Jacob was still Jacob. But from that point forward, Jacob was on the path that God set out for him. So from that point forward, um, Jacob really, for the most part, wanted to do things God's way. So, Randy, great question. Thank you very much. I love to talk about Genesis 32. And uh, just to everybody out there, I'm not exaggerating a bit when I say I do this every day. That, that verse will never, ever leave me. Uh, it's my lifeblood. And I actually do it physically. I'll hold my hand down and say, Jesus, uh, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then I have to be honest and say, but I can't do that on my own, Lord. So I offer my hand by faith. I take your hand in faith, and I will not let go until you bless me. And then I do the same thing with my left hand extended toward Paula. Most of the time, it's I'm just by myself, but, but just figuratively, she's there. And we will not let go. We're one flesh. We will not let go until you bless us. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate the question. Teresa says, is it a lack of faith to have insurance, health insurance or life insurance? My pastor says we should be giving money for spiritual things and trust God for temporal things. Teresa, your pastor is really, really, really wrong. And if he actually said that, then you're in a church that is so out of balance and so dangerous that you need to run, run, run. Uh, a lack of faith to have insurance we're to occupy until jesus comes you know i really believe jesus is coming soon i hope he comes before i die of whatever causes um um, will, will make me die um but 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 not to have insurance i mean what if i left paul behind with no insurance how how would that be loving how would that be occupying or taking care of things and, and for a pastor to say that you should be giving money for spiritual things, no doubt he means you should be giving money to the church, um, to him, um, uh, and that's an expression of faith, um, you know, we need to be obedient. Uh, as a pastor, you know, I have dealt with too many deaths where uh, the wife was left you know without the ability to make a living you know without a job that paid enough money to live you know, in many cases she'd been a wife and a, and a mother, um, which is noble thing to do. and all of a sudden husband is gone, finances are a mess, and he left with no insurance. and there's just no way that somebody who really loves God would do that to somebody God loves. So no, it's not a lack of faith at all. Uh, health insurance, um, you know, I'm old enough now that I have Medicare. Um, I kind of rolled the dice until I got old enough. But the idea here is, no, insurance is is a wise thing to do. And uh, your pastor is just wrong, and that's so, so very unhealthy. So if, in fact, Teresa, he said that, that's a church that you need to run away from. Ooh, that just makes... My spine shiver. 340 for your live calls and questions. He's, here's a question from Michelle. I get this question quite often. Uh, she says, how do I answer someone who says God approves of slavery? Uh, what I do, Michelle, is tell them to actually read the Bible. Don't just parrot what somebody else says. God doesn't approve of slavery. Um, he writes that men stealers aren't worthy of the kingdom of of heaven. In other words, he's saying they're going to go to hell. Um, When God deals with slavery throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, he's simply dealing with the reality of the world that we live in, a fallen world. And um, um, when somebody says God approves of slavery, what they really mean is, well, God should have, prohibited it. But remember, especially when people were getting saved in the New Testament, they had to be equipped to deal with the world that existed, not the world the way we want it to be, not some idealistic utopia. And slavery was a just a fact of life. In fact, slavery has always been and still always will be a fact of life. And as Christians, we have to deal with the world that we live in. In New Testament times in the Roman Empire, slaves outnumbered free men four to one. That was just the way it is. Slavery was an economic condition. Now, I want everybody to understand that slavery biblically had nothing to do with skin color, had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with either peoples who had been conquered in war or economics. And that's just the way it was. People would be captured. Entire nations. Israel was was captured by Babylon, and they were enslaved for seventy years. So anybody who says that God approves of slavery hasn't actually read the Bible. And Michelle, just as a, as an afterthought, whenever somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible, somebody who doesn't believe in God, tries to quote the Bible, I just tell them, don't even bother. You have no idea that you haven't. You've never read it. And I've actually had people say, well, I've read the Bible. Okay, how far did you read? And the answer is never. Well, I read it all the way through. It's, it's always, well, you know, I, I got it till we got to this point, and then I just didn't understand whether it's the flood or whatever it is. But the reality is, is God hates slavery. He hates uh, people who, who take advantage of less fortunate people. And over and over and over, God tells his people how to react. To people who are in less fortunate situations and we are, that we are to love them, we're to welcome them, we are to show hospitality and love toward them, and uh, slavery does none of those things. But slavery was a fact of life. Michelle, just for fun, it's the shortest book, or one of the shortest books in the Bible, uh, read the little treasure, uh, Philemon, in your New Testament, because it's all about a runaway slave who the slave owner he ran away from uh, happened to be somebody, uh, Philemon is his name, and, and he ran away from uh, uh, Onesimus, the slave, ran away from Philemon, the slave owner, and then both of them at different times in different places got saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is simply saying, this is how you treat him. When he comes home to you, remember, a slave that ran away would most often be killed if he was ever discovered. Um, no, you, you go back, and Paul sent a letter, and that, that letter that we have is that little treasure. Fill him on. So um, just tell them they don't know what they're talking about. And for all of us, you know, when somebody is just repeating things that they've heard from others— Please don't get involved in a debate with them or with an argument with them. Just challenge them to read the Bible, to read it for themselves. Paul and I many, many years ago, when not too long after I got saved, actually before we even came to Texas, um we were supervising a junior high group on a trip to, to Hollywood, California, just to do some street witnessing. And um we had this obviously very gay. Black guy, a big guy, and we were sharing Jesus with people in the streets down there. And said, so, Can we tell you about Jesus? Oh, no, I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. He supports slavery. And so we started to have a conversation with him, but he didn't care what the Bible really said. All he cared about was his perspective on things. So just don't even bother with it. Here's a question from Jerry. Pastor, when the honeymoon phase of a marriage ends, how can the passion return? Jerry, marriage is hard work, unless you're married to Paula. Marriage is hard work. Um, um, and the honeymoon phase never needs to end. Um, but but you have to work on it. You have to work at being loving. You have to work at being kind. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, because only then can you demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so what you have to do is 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 walk in the power of the Spirit. You've got to look at your wife, Jerry, um, the way Jesus does. You've got to make her feel beautiful. I tell the men in our church, your job, men, is to make your wife feel like the most beautiful, most precious, most loved woman on the face of the earth. And she needs to feel safe with you. And if Jesus is at the center of your relationship, if you're in the Word of God together, if you um, are um, praying together, um, believe me, passion doesn't have to return because it never leaves, so what we've got to do is we've got to work at staying close to one another I had a a wonderful email this morning that was sent to me about somebody who who just said, uh, basically, they are saying, you know, you've been telling husbands and wives to read together for the whole time we've been there. And and, a couple of years ago, um, uh, we found out just how true it was. And this this man and his wife have been reading together. And, and, you know, you look back and say, well, what took me so long? Um, Jerry, read the Bible to your wife. Pray with her. Uh, Take walks with her. Make sure that she understands that she's loved and safe with you. And she will love you. She will respect you. And believe me, when that's the case, passion is not going to be an issue. So be the godly husband that Jesus wants you to be for her. And let him supply the passion, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Alan, a different Alan in our caller. Um... Pastor Ron, what is the age of accountability for children? Alan, nobody really knows. Um, The reality is that that the age of accountability changes uh, from person to person based on uh, age, intellect, understanding, um, um, capacity to understand. Uh, I've known, as I've said on this program before, kids as young as four who completely understood um, the Gospel of Jesus Christ understood they were sinners, understood they needed to be forgiven and and uh, and truly accepted Jesus Christ and were born again uh, likewise I've met fifteen year olds who i didn't believe were accountable, they didn't have a a sense of understanding, um, but God knows, and see that's the thing that we don't have to worry about God. Knows I've had people argue with me that the the Jewish boys were bar mitzvahed at um, uh, the age of twelve, and and so that's the age of accountability. No, it's different for everybody, and all of our capacities to know to understand things is different. And we this is one of the places that we got to rest uh, in the goodness, the fairness, and the justice of God. Alan, I treat everybody like they're accountable. I want to tell them. Um and and you know, that doesn't mean I think they are, it just means that that they're gonna hear the gospel and they're gonna hear about Jesus and uh I think I think that's uh the best approach. One other comment sort of off topic, topic but still on, uh, is this, you know, um I think all all of us, all humans, are born with an instinctive knowledge of who Jesus is, of who God is. I think that's just a gift that God has given us. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. The psalmist writes, day after day they pour forth. I think we know that. And I often tell my church, you know, I've never had a four- or five-year-old argue with me about, how, how, about the, the Holy Spirit or the Trinity or, or about how could Jesus be man and God. I, I've never had them. They just, you, you share it with them, and they're open to it. And then as they go out into this world, they sort of unlearn that. And uh, that's when we begin rebelling. So, uh, Alan, um, just always appeal that to which we really knew from the beginning. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes.
1: To the word to stand on for life, we're taking your calls at three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six thirty KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to our final half hour of the week. We'd love you to participate three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls. Here is an anonymous question that always tugs at my heart when I get one. Um, Pastor, God helped women who couldn't get pregnant have children in the Bible. Sarah, Hannah, and Mary are examples. Will God help me? These are really, really hard things. Um, Obviously, uh, now I would disagree with Mary. Mary had no problem having babies. She had a bunch of them after Jesus. Um, But uh, Sarah and Hannah were certainly um, wonderful examples. And, And God had a plan for them. Uh, Hannah in particular, you know, um, her husband Elkanah had another wife and evidently she just kept popping out babies. And uh, poor Hannah uh, was beside herself and she'd cry out to God. And it was always God's plan to give her a baby. But he wanted her to have a very special baby. Not just any baby, but a special baby. And of course Samuel was a a prophet and a judge, uh, a man that we read a lot about in our Old Testament. And he wanted Sarah. I'm sorry. He wanted Hannah to get to the place where he he, he, she'd finally say, "Lord, if you give me this child, I'll give him to you. I just want a baby. He's yours. I'll give him to you." And that's exactly what she did. And then, of course, her womb was open, and she had other children as well. And I always tell women like you, Anonymous, that um, sometimes God makes us wait because He's preparing us. To be the mother to a very special child. Now, obviously, there's some women that just can't conceive. Um, but but don't give up hope. Keep praying. Keep asking the Lord. And um, who knows what will happen? We've had uh, a bunch of ladies in our church over the years who kept miscarrying, or who kept uh, who couldn't get pregnant, or or when they did get pregnant, they couldn't stay pregnant. And you know their hearts were hurting, and um my counsel to him was always we'll keep keep trying and um in most of those cases, um those women ended up getting pregnant and having babies um one um young woman it was young woman to me, but Holly uh, was her name um she had like eight babies in heaven and and finally she got pregnant she she didn't she was about to give up. And we were in and after going, Lord gave me a word for her. And that word was, was, God hears you. Don't give up. Trust him. And she gave birth to Luke. And Luke, I think, is 13 years old now and big and strong and smart. And, and so, so just keep, keep trying. Lord, according to thy will, God knows what's best for you. And so that's where you have to trust him. So will God help you? I hope so, Anonymous. But keep asking, keep knocking on that door, and and um, just ask God to be merciful to you. Dedicate that child to him. Lord, if you open my womb, this child will be raised to know you and to love you. And I'll be able to say to this child, follow me as I follow Christ. And then just be willing to settle for God's will. But don't give up. Please don't give up. Those are hard ones. We had a woman. Nobody's waiting on the phone, so I can take another minute. We had a woman in our church. She was uh, just the, the brightest of lights in our church, and she could not have a baby. Um, just, just was unable to, and she wanted. And, and um, this was a young girl who um, became everybody's mother. Uh, I mean, she she helped out every. New mother and we boy, we have babies in our church. She helped out every new mother there was. Um, you want a day away, you need you need babysitters, you need a clean house, whatever you want me to do, I'll help you. And and she became sort of a mother to many. And uh, boy did God use her and bless her. And she was able to sort of get her mind off of the, the fact that she couldn't have children. Um but God was still going to entrust her. She was involved in children's ministry here at the church. Oh, man, people loved her. I'm looking at a picture on my wall above uh, my office here where we're doing the, the, the program from the studio. And she was also a photographer and often served as our church photographer. Um, and uh, um, I'll never forget, that. unfortunately, that woman was murdered. Um, and what a loss it was for our church. So Anonymous, hang in there. Here's a question from Rick. Is it correct to say that God used Peter to open the door of the gospel to Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles? Yeah, technically it is. Now we know that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was the primary focus of his ministry. But we also remember that Paul went first to Jews and then to Gentiles when the Jews rejected him. Um, but but certainly Peter was used uh, first. He he preached the first two messages in the book of Acts, um, and Jews got saved when the church was entirely Jewish. Uh, it's it's also true that he was called to uh, Samaria when Philip actually went and took the message of the gospel, and people were getting saved. But Peter and John went to Samaria. Uh, To validate the ministry, Jews didn't believe that Samaritans would be in heaven. And and so for Samaritans to be getting saved, um, Peter and John were called and they witnessed the outpouring of God's spirit. Um, They prayed for people and the spirit fell. And Peter, of course, would would say, well, how how can we deny them who had the Holy Spirit come upon them as he came upon us? And then in Acts chapter 10, uh, when he was summoned by God to the household of Cornelius. And uh, Cornelius was the first Gentile, uh, those in his household, the first Gentiles to get saved. And I love that chapter because Peter didn't even have to say a bunch. While he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit sort of interrupted and um, um, came upon them and they began to speak in other tongues and I can just see Peter now slapping his forehead saying, oh my goodness, even Gentiles can get saved. God, what's next? And so yeah, Peter did open the door. Um, Not his primary ministry, but he opened the door to all three groups, Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. Good question, Rick. Thank you. Here's an anonymous question. I go to church regularly, but really don't get more involved than that. Uh, Isn't going to church enough? Uh, I did a Bible study a couple of Wednesdays ago, um, a week from just this past Wednesday, anonymous, about uh, the high places, um, the worship in, in high places in the Old Testament, and here's what I said. I said, uh, that, was, that represents convenient worship. You know, God said you have to come to Jerusalem, and, um, and they didn't want to make that long trip, so they had their own high places, and they would worship. And they were worshiping the real God. We'd say it in a New Testament construct that, well, they're saved, but they're missing out on so much. And God um, um, took note of the fact that the high places weren't removed. Um, the sentiment When you say, I really don't want to get more involved than in that, you're not involved at all. You're not involved. You ask, is going to church enough? What does it accomplish? You know, the whole point of church is the fellowship of believers. That, that pattern is established for us in Acts chapter 2 when the church was born. Uh, to serve the, the body of Christ. That Example was set for us by Jesus in John chapter 13 when he washed the feet of the disciples. Anonymous, God gave you the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit so that you could be a blessing to other people. And if you don't want to get involved, then you're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. You may be saved. You don't really mention Jesus in your question, but, but you may be saved. And by the way, going to church doesn't save anybody. Being born again saves somebody. And I would ask you to be honest enough to check your heart. Paul says you were to do that every day, 2 Corinthians 13. And here's what I would tell you. Examine your heart to see if you're really saved. A saved man or a saved woman would want to be in church. A saved man or a saved woman would crave the fellowship of believers. Because God has given us gifts, we would desire to be servants of God, servants to other people. So I don't know what you think you're accomplishing by saying, well, I go to church. That ought to be enough. It's not enough. And certainly it's not the, the, the heart of somebody who really and truly loves Jesus Christ. So going to church regularly, so what? Should we go to church? Of course we should. But because we want to, because we're part of a body, the body needs you and you need the body. And it's not humility To suggest that you don't really need the church because you do. We all do. So I hope you'll take that seriously. That's my exhortation for you, my Christmas gift to you, Anonymous. 340 9585. Here is a question from Jesse What kind of authority will we have when we rule and reign with Jesus? Jesse, we don't know. We know we're going to judge fallen angels. We know during the millennial reign of Christ that we are going to be used to execute judgment. Uh, judgment will be swift and severe and and, uh, and, and perfectly holy and righteous um, when people rebel against King Jesus. Um, but but our, um, our role in the millennium and, and even further, our role in heaven um, ruling and reigning with Jesus is, I think, intentionally obscure. Um, it's something that we got to look forward to by faith. But here's what I know. It'll be wonderful. Um, it will be soul-pleasing, gut-wrenching, soul-pleasing. Um, because we're going to be used to establish the perfect, righteous reign of Jesus. Uh, but but specifics, we don't know. I joke with people, Jesse, and tell them that, you know, we'll all have areas on the earth and I'll probably get San Antonio or some part of San Antonio. And, um, um, you know, the, the, the point is we don't know what we'll be doing. Uh, we don't know how we can rule and reign with Jesus. We just have the promise that we will. There are things like this I wish the Bible was more specific on, but... You know, that's why we need faith, to understand that God's plan for us now and God's plan for us then is better than we can ask or imagine. Here's a question from Nate. Who are those to whom Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you? Um, remember that Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and always a crowd of other Jews around. And The religious leaders, of course, were supposed to be God's representatives to the people. A priest had two jobs, represent the people to God and God to the people. And uh, they thought they were saved because they were Jews. They were descendants, physical descendants of Abraham. They thought they were saved because they had the law of Moses. And uh, boy, their self righteousness was overwhelming. And Jesus tells them, Look, there are many who will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Nate, the saddest part about this for me is that we have a lot of people like that. You know, the the question that I just had uh, anonymously about isn't going to church enough? Why do I have to go? I don't want to get involved. Um, you know, a lot of people like that, they're going to, on the day of judgment, we know that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For some of us, that'll be the most thrilling moment in, in our lives. Uh, but for others, it'll be the most terrifying moment in their lives. And I can just see now a bunch of people say, yeah, but I went to church every Sunday. Jesus will say, big whoop. Who cares? I did. It's not like I needed you. I wanted you to be there. I delight to use you. Others will say, well, but I was a pastor. And I told people how to live their lives. And you see, yeah, but you didn't do it yourself. A lot of us who refuse to forgive other people, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. If, If I knew you, you would forgive others as you have been forgiven by God. And I could go on and on and on with the examples, Nate. But what he's talking about is people who know about God, People that even call on him, who use his name. Before I got saved, I used to use Jesus' name to, to sell things. I mean, my goodness. Um, if I was talking to a customer who's a Christian, then mm-hmm. for uh, 30 minutes while I'm trying to sell him a car, I could be a Christian. Um, people that never leave that condition. We know enough to know there is a God and that he's in control, but we just don't want to surrender, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that will be a moment of absolute terror, Nate. So those are the people to whom Jesus is speaking. The religious leaders who were misrepresenting God uh, when Jesus walked the earth, and those of us who are professing Christians who are misrepresenting God now. I think of I think of men who are abusive to their wives or to their children. God says, I gave you stewardship over these people that I loved. I told you to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And when we're just jerks, how can we claim to know Jesus? Well Jesus will set it straight on that day of judgment. Robert, I think I would like to get married. Someday, so how much should I pray for a future spouse? Well, you're pretty vague in your question, Robert, but I would say if you think you might want to get married, you ought to start praying for her now. Um, By praying for her, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and start preparing you now for a wife that he's preparing for you. You know, a lot of times we just think, well, you know, I'm doing this thing now. I'm out partying or I'm out getting drunk or uh, I'm, maybe I'm looking at pornography, things like that. But if if God brings me a wife, I'll stop all of that. God's not going to bring a woman that he cares about to you if you're living a life like that. So pray for one now, but prepare for a wife now. As you're praying for, ask God to make you the man that will love her sacrificially, the man that will put her needs ahead of my own needs. Ask God to make you a man that she will feel safe with and protected by. Certainly don't pray for somebody who will meet your needs. That's putting too much pressure on another human being. Say, Lord, make me a husband who will meet the needs of that woman that you have for me. Help me be the father that my children can respect and imitate. Those are prayers, Robert, that God will answer. Bill says in Colossians 1.20, Paul says God will reconcile all things to himself, things in heaven and on earth. Doesn't that mean that everyone will get to heaven? Bill, that's completely the opposite of the context of the passage. No, God will reconcile all things to himself. Um certainly that's going to be the case with with, with angels. Um, when the, the, the fallen angels are told it to apart, uh, he'll reconcile those who are his. Uh, all creation, the earth is going to be redeemed, we're going to be redeemed, or we will have been redeemed when we get born again. And and he's reconciling all things to himself. However, We have to make the choice to accept the free gift of eternal life. The idea that everybody is somehow going to get to heaven. You know, I have a a very, very casual friend uh, who who believes that his cats are going to be in heaven because of this verse. No, God's going to reconcile all things to himself. So I am 100% certain my cats are going to be in heaven. That's not what it's saying at all. You've got to read the context of the passage. You can't take that out of, of, of context and then ignore all of the other passages of Scripture uh, that talk about judgment and eternal suffering and weeping and gnashing of teeth and deepest, darkest blackness, um, those kind of things. You can't just dismiss all of those um, because of a faulty reading of Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. So, nope. To get to heaven, you must be born again. Jesus Himself made that abundantly clear. I think we still got some time for some phone calls. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you hurry, Nancy asks. Uh, Matthew chapter five verse forty-eight says that we're to be perfect. How is that possible? Well, it's not practically, Nancy. When nobody's perfect as long as we're struggling with this flesh, this earthly body. Uh, the sin nature that we inherited from Adam, our federal head, uh, we can't be perfect. But we're told twice in the New Testament to aim for perfection. We're to aim for perfection. Now, what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 5, remember, that's a Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is explaining to his listeners that this is the standard of heaven. Remember, Jews believe that just by having the law, they were saved. Just by being physical descendants of Abraham, they were saved. And Jesus is raising the standard. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And he raises the standard over and over and over. He goes beyond the letter of the law, which nobody can keep. We know that from Colossians. We know that from Galatians. Nobody can keep the law. But he even makes it harder. You've said that it was, uh, it is. You've heard that it said that we, we not to be angry with somebody, or not to murder somebody. But I say, if you're angry with your brother and call him fool, then you're um, you're, you're already guilty of murder. Uh, if you look at a woman with lust, then you're guilty of adultery. So he's going past the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. And in the spirit of the law, raising that standard, and he goes all the way through chapter 5, and at the very last verse, the verse you asked about, it says, I'm going to settle the issue. That's me, my commentary on it. Jesus said, I'm going to settle the issue. You want to get to heaven and not believe in me? Here's how to do it. You've got to be perfect, fulfilling both the letter and the spirit of the law. And here's what he's saying. It's impossible to be saved. Regarding salvation, he says, With God, all things are possible. Uh, but with man, this is impossible. And so he's saying, you got to be perfect. Now, thank the Lord, Nancy, that Jesus gives us his perfection. So when I said practically we can't be perfect, but positionally we can, I th- am thrilled with the fact that every time Jesus looks at me from heaven, every time the Father looks at me from heaven, they see me as absolutely perfect. All of my sin is washed away. Though my sins are as scarlet, he tells, um, the, tells all of us through Isaiah, come let us reason together. Though our sins are scarlet, they could be white as snow. Jesus doesn't see the scarlet. He sees the white as snow. Because he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So Nancy, the way you can be perfect positionally is to be born again. Then when your flesh flares up, you take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. We pick up our cross daily, saying no to us so we can say yes to the Lord, and then we walk in the perfect will of God. I hope that makes sense to you, Nancy. Good question. Thank you. This will be my last one of the week. Last question from Carol. She, I, could, I should say she, but it could be a he because we've, we've known some male carols. Um, they say humility is important. So how does God view us when we're concerned about our appearance and try to look good uh, for others? Um, I don't think it's it's a lack of humility to want to put your best foot forward, Carol. Um, you know, I think certainly vanity can get out of control. We can decide that... Uh, looks are so important, and we can and and people do they have all kinds of plastic surgeries and a little fix here, a little tuck there, those kind of things and The only thing I would say is well, while there's nothing sinful about doing those things, we really need to examine our hearts before doing it. But I think we all ought to put our best foot forward remember we 're witnesses of of Christ, our lives need to be rich and full. And if we're not putting our best foot forward with people in the world, then, then we're the ones who are falling a little bit short. Um, I want to look good. And, you know, I've got only so much to work with, but, you know, I want to look good. I want my clothes to match. I want them to be ironed. I don't want to be tacky, um, those kind of things. So uh, I want to look good. I want to look good for Paula. Paula always works hard to look good for me. Um Women, not just women anymore, but primarily women still use makeup and things like that. All of that's fine. We ought to do our very best to look as good as we can, especially for our spouses, but for other people as well. And, you know, one of the things that we can apply, I think, in a positive way Um, We need to look good not just physically, but but we need to have attractive spirits. We need to be men and women who are filled with the joy of the Lord. We need to be men and women uh, who who actually look like we're grateful to God for the things that we're doing. So uh, I think we can do all those things and still be humble. You know, the Bible tells us we're to do all things as unto the Lord. And I think inherent in that, Carol, is putting our best foot forward uh, no matter where we are or what we're doing. Good question. Thank you, Carol. Well, that does it for this week. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word tonight. And Saturday, tonight at 6.30, and Saturday at 1 o'clock, we're going to be having our children's Christmas play on Sunday, Acts chapter 3, the first 11 verses. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4,